So hello and welcome to today's episode of Elixir Mix. Today, our fabulous panel of hosts includes Bruce Tate. Pre-Elixir Conf greetings, everybody. Oh yeah, happy Pre-Elixir Conf greetings. Nice one. We also are joined by Lars Vickman. Hey Lars, we've got uh, Mika Kalafiel. Hey everyone. And Alex Kutmos. Howdy, howdy. Hey Alex, and we are joined today by a very special guest, Lau Tornsko. Thank you for joining us, Lau. And Lau is an engineer at The Real Real, and he's been doing some writing lately and uh, some speaking on the topic of date time in Elixir, everybody's favorite or perhaps most dreaded uh, topic often in any programming language, date and time. But before we get into some of the questions that we have for you, Lau, if you want to maybe go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you into the Elixir community. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. Hello. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here on the show. So I started doing Elixir around 2014. And I've been using different program languages for that. A lot of Ruby before Elixir. One of the things I started looking at was there was no uh, solution for time zones. And I had previously had some issues with how date and time was handled in other languages. So I thought, and uh, I thought this was a new language. Uh, how could I make this more enjoyable to work with in this new language? Because I saw myself uh, working with Elixir for a long time. So that was something I thought that was a problem for me and probably also for other people. So that's that's one thing I uh, I started looking at, and then I've been doing Elixir ever since, both open source and uh, working with that professionally. So everybody has their little Elixir moment, the time that you kind of looked at the language and, and saw, hey, that's that's cool or interesting. I want to know a little bit more about that. What was your first program or the first thing that you saw where you think where you thought this language has a chance to be pretty cool for me? Yeah, now I'm just uh, thinking back. Yeah, the, the funny thing is the the first real library I wrote was uh, this uh, time zone handling. So yeah, if you if you look back at the at the code, that was like me learning Elixir doing that. And that was the first one. The I first mean, one there, was, there, there was there was Hello World, but that was kind of for first real project. The thing, basically, I thought I I had when I first started using Ruby, I. That was uh, around the time, that was before Rails was released. And I saw kind of the beginnings of Rails was one of the reasons I started using Ruby. And I thought this is going to be uh, super popular. This this is so much better than uh, PHP or Java that was another solution for the web before. And there were different other languages coming along. And I've been of the mindset that I... I didn't really want to switch languages all the time unless something was like 10 times better because this, or if something is 20% better, it, it can be cool to learn it, to learn different things. I'm sure Bruce, you're all about, you know, learning new, learning, learning new languages and, and um, learning new things from that one language. But this was the language that was, I thought was so much better. Basically it could do, I thought I could do everything you would want to do with Ruby, you could do, uh, and you could do better with Elixir. Just just in terms of how how simple it is to understand the programs you write with it, 
I guess big thing with it is how it's immutable and how you can reason about it. So when you have arguments coming in, you know what you have there. You can reason about it. Whereas in Ruby and other object-oriented languages, you have something and you there's a lot of times in Ruby you see .dup to make sure no one's no one nothing else is messing with what data you have there. Uh, so I thought the the functional nature of Elixir was great. And I guess it felt like something I've been looking for for a long time and didn't realize it. And then on top of that, you have, you know, there's so many things coming together. So on top of that, you have the concurrency aspect of it and how it just made sense with the web and concurrency and how it was made for telephone networks that map so well to the web. And you have you know, web clients instead of telephones. And yeah, it, there, there's just so many things that made sense to me. So it's hard. It wasn't one thing. It was many things uh, together. That might be the most thoughtful answer I've ever heard to that question. <laughs> yeah, I kept on wanting to interrupt and be like, yes, 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 to all those points and more. I definitely, I definitely echo all those, uh, all those sentiments. I mean, from the the fact that it's a functional language, but it's a very like pragmatic functional language. Uh, Josh Adams isn't with us today, so I can bag on Haskell a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've tried Haskell in the past. I always found it a little too verbose, uh, you know, too difficult to reason about. Again, maybe it's just not, you know, not my cup of tea. But I did find uh, you know Elixir to be a very pragmatic, functional language. And I think can't remember where I heard it from, but I think one of the Erlang initial designers said that they made it functional from a like a use case perspective. Not necessarily they, they sought out to make a functional language from an academic perspective. They wanted to make a functional language, or they wanted to make a language that could deal with a problem and functional programming paradigms kind of helped solve that problem. So it's a very uh, pragmatic road to that solution. And I, I, that, that jives with me and I think that's why I've, I've stuck around. Yeah, you see all the, the heads of everybody kind of nodding. I know that this is kind of an audio podcast, but yeah, um, that's that's kind of cool. And, and one of the things that, that struck me about that answer is that you, you jumped into a new language and said, "Hey, I'm going to solve a problem that I recognize in the language, in the language, and which is interesting to me because it takes a lot to recognize as a newcomer where the um, the weak points are in a language right off the bat. I, I I don't know that I could do something like that. And also, just the fact that starting out and going right for times, dates, and basically all the complexity that most developers." absolutely will use a library to avoid and just like yeah I'll, I'll work with that can you unpack how that decision making happens because i don't uh, i don't quite uh, grasp how you would approach a new language and decide that that's what you're doing it's it's impressive yeah i think it's because i had so many problems with how it was handled in other places so i thought um at least to begin with, I wanted to think it came at the same time. On one hand, I wanted to explore what this problem is generally, regardless, like, uh, regardless of um, language. Like how, how, is, how is date and time handled? What, how should it be handled? Um, and then specifically for Elixir, uh, I wanted to implement some solutions for that. So I get it, it was partly being interested in the subject because it was such a thing. It was a thing, like you say, that some people dread or, or don't like, but everyone will use it. 
and you'll have to use it. So I thought this is something interesting to um, to look at. How would how would I want it to be solved? And um, then I just started studying it a lot and um, just kept working on it. And uh, also, uh, I should mention that now today, many years later, there's a lot more people working on it. There, there were also people working on it. Uh, you know, a few people working on it in the beginning. And and now uh, even more. So so that's great to see. I, I thought it was interesting, and uh, it's been rewarding. And and um, and I, yeah, I thought it was an interesting problem to solve. So I had a coworker. His name was James Gray, and um, he. So yeah, a smile yeah, and a nod from Lars there. Yeah, um, a good friend of mine, and wrote the book Designing Elixir Systems with OTP. Or I guess I wrote it with him would be the right way to say that. Right? But but James always said when whenever any one of us ever dropped a line into the code that did date math, he would say, no, no, no. Uh, there, there, there are some problems that you don't try to solve ad hoc. Um, we, we need libraries. What are some of the common mistakes that you've seen um, people make when they try to do their own, um, roll their own ad hoc um, date math? I think an important part of this, that also to step back, a bit. The important part of this, I think, is to first think about what what you're trying to achieve. So, for instance, sometimes if you have an example of a birthday, and then you want to calculate something related to dates, one thing that I thought was annoying or confusing was how people use the word date to mean something else than just a date. Uh, so you you can have like a first, you know. People might say a, a common thing that programmers will say sometimes is convert everything to UTC, and then they will also talk about dates, and they will have seconds and minutes in them, and and time zones all of a sudden because it's UTC. So the thing about converting everything to UTC, first of all, that's that's I think a mistake. You have to think about what you're going to do, and uh, certain things are good to have in UTC let's say timestamps of things happening on your computer where you know this happened at this point, for that UTC is good. But for handling something else, let's say a birthday, a birthday is not about UTC. It's about sometimes you only have the, the information of year, month, and date. So a, a thing you want to do is look at what information do I actually have? What data do I actually have that I know? And to only look at that, um, so in that situation in, in Elixir, there's a type date that has only year, month, and date of the month. And then you don't invent kind of fake data. You know, some, some might, will, might solve this problem by using a date time that has like the, you know, zero minutes, zero seconds, 0 0.00 seconds, and so on, and UTC, which is really just kind of garbage data that you made up because the library of type that you used had this, and you're kind of forced to do it. Or you might think, oh, this will simplify things if I basically use the same type for everything. And in some languages, that's your kind of only option. So that was a problem also I saw you know, in JavaScript, for instance. You have this thing called date, which is really daytime that has all this extra stuff you don't need. Find out what you're actually trying to solve and choose the correct type and don't invent kind of fake data. I, th I think something related to this is avoid inventing kind of fake extra data and also at the same time include enough data that you actually need. So another on the, 
another hand, if you do have, if you do need to know something about a, a time zone, do include the time zone. If you, it, you know, uh, if you, if you don't have it, you can't magically uh, summon it up later uh, if you haven't saved it anywhere. Speaking kind of of invalid bogus data, one of the things that I took away from your talk was entering 23 dogs in Ruby and having it actually come out as a valid date. Did you ever figure out like why that happened? Yeah, uh, so Shusevadim actually uh, sent me a link to that or told me about it. And there's some place in in, uh, Stack Overflow where they talk about it, uh, where you can Google that. As an example, I'm not sure... I'm not sure exactly why it is. I didn't want to look too much into it. But what I got from that is it's an example of trying to be too permissive in parsing. That's another thing that I think Elixir is good at and this whole fail first and fail early. I think that those ideas gel well with Elixir. And um, that's also something I think is important is if there's some information and data you need, uh, you need to have it, and it's a good thing to throw an error if it's not there instead of inventing something fake. Yeah, I think that goes nice along with the kind of the spirit of the language where everything is more more driven towards explicitness versus implicitness. So the language will definitely try to put up some guardrails that you know, maybe things aren't being misinterpreted or, or messed around with in a way that's kind of uh, undefined to the user. So I definitely definitely appreciate that. To kind of piggyback off of the previous question, uh, when it comes time to persist the uh, daytime information to your database, uh, you kind of hinted at before, you know, don't just naively make everything UTC if it doesn't apply. Kind of uh, what are some best practices around that? Uh, you know, I, I historically have just been throwing everything as UTC and just pay, taking care of it on the presentation layer. So have I been doing it wrong? Should I be, you know, chastised publicly here for that? No, it really depends on what you're doing. So in some cases that, is the correct approach. Although I would say um, this whole, you know, this kind of sounds like what a lot of people recommend. They're saying everything should be UTC daytimes and then in a presentation layer, you can change it. But I think that's dangerous because a lot of times the, the dates you tell someone that visits your website or uses your system can be very important. So let's say you have some kind of a contract or order or something and there's some deadline or some some date that is very important if you just say in utc it's this date and then you just put it somewhere else in presentation layer you don't care so much about it that that can change you know from one day to the other and that i would say is business logic what what you tell your customer in this case is business logic and it's something you want to know about so you know let's say there there's a time for a meeting uh, you probably want to save the time. You Let's say you say, oh, this is in uh, Pacific time at 8 o'clock in the morning, let's say. That might be how you define it. So you would save 8 o'clock in Pacific time somehow. One way to do that is the IANA time zone names, for instance, uh, America slash uh, Los Angeles. One of the reasons is that if you have something in the future, first of all, you will know it's more closely to what you actually uh, want to know and want to save. And also, if if it's far enough in the future that the time zone sorry, if it's far enough in the future that the time zone rules change, you can actually recalculate that, and you can you you will know what your original intention was. And this has been a problem in practice in certain cases where where people have where, where the rules have changed. 
So basically, yeah, save the, you can save the daytime plus the time zone name. I also have on my blog, uh, creativedeletion.com, there's a blog post about why UTC is not the correct approach for saving future uh, daytimes. So for when it comes to saving things in UTC, I, I think that can be great if that is what you want to save. And uh, I think the general approach is just make sure you save what you need to save, like kind of the, the base data, if that makes sense, instead of something you want to pre-calculate for the future. If you want to do that, you can do that also, but don't throw away kind of the, the, the basic data that, that really matters, right? So to explain that a bit more, this example would be, let's say you have a meeting in Pacific time, you want to save like the local time and that is and the, the time zone name for the Pacific time. And then you could pre-calculate what would that be in UTC if you wanted to, if you need that for performance reasons or something, save, save what you really need for the future. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I definitely, that definitely makes sense. And then if you ever need to, let's say that meeting was in Pacific time because that's where maybe the, uh, the meeting organizer is. And in our uh, remote world nowadays with COVID, let's say I'm in a different time zone and I need to go to that meeting, but I want it locally. It, you could still do that kind of a uh, time zone conversion, but you still have that initial piece of metadata that, hey, the organizer was in this time zone. This was the original time for that time zone. So exactly. that's, a, that's yeah. a cool tip. I like it. And I also like the idea that um, if you had something like, um, you know, Labor Day, that is September, you know, whatever, right? And to not try to attach time zone data to that and not try to attach time data at all. I, I like that. You know, th at that point, you want to be naive. You know, you don't, you don't need to map it to a time zone or, or a time. Exactly, yeah. Because sometimes that extra data can come back to hurt you because libraries or other systems will want to interpret that. Um, and sometimes they'll say, oh, this is in, uh, you know, in, in, in the U.S. it might be one day. And then in UTC, it's actually the next day. If it's like the evening in, in, in some place in the U.S. and UTC, it could be the actual the next day. And then you have this idea of the presentation layer just throwing away all the other stuff. And then you're left with just a simple date, but it's the wrong one. So, so all, this also, I think, is important when communicating with other systems, when you have APIs, you know, to, to communicate all the necessary data, but not throwing extra, extra stuff. If someone who might or might not have been me actually gave, gave employees the wrong day off, that causing a big hullabaloo might or might not have been me. Uh, when it comes time to you know, write tests for all this uh, daytime goodness, you know, given that that's a impure operation, right? Um, you know, UTC now is an impure operation because it's it's depending on the uh, the clock, right? What kind of patterns or suggestions do you have for people to write kind of uh, deterministic tests around times? Do you create mocks where you can control the clock? Do you provide most of your functions with the time as like a param so that those functions remain pure? You know, kind of, what are the kind of the patterns that you follow to ensure that your tests don't fail randomly and they're off by like a second. One interesting thing about the function in the standard library is that most of the functions are pure, except for UTC now, as you mentioned. And there are also some other functions that get now, but they're kind of a version of UTC now, you could say. So what you can do is you can pass in now as, a, as an argument that has a default argument of UTC now, that's one way to do it. And another way is also like you mentioned, having some kind of mock, you can have a 
you could have some kind of adapter. Let's say you had a time adapter and then in your code, you call that. And then in your test code, you can have a configuration where you have the real time adapter and your test time adapter. So in your code, you call whatever adapter it is and you, you have the configuration switch out the real time adapter for a, a test one. Then you can you can decide what time it is with that one. So those are some ways of doing it. It kind of strikes me that in the testing area, this is time problems are look to me like a symptom, like we haven't gotten our, our testing models right yet. Uh, so this this strikes me as one area where property-based testing will be a huge, huge boon, right? Because then you're talking about the the properties based on when something was created and when something was compared and those kinds of things. It's just a hint to me that that we don't have not just Elixir, but the greater software industry, we don't have the right abstractions for um, for tests yet. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think, so what I mentioned before with, with UTC now, that's, I guess, only, well, first of all, I think, yeah, it's, it's I think you're right that it's, it's an interesting problem and something that isn't solved. I would also say that it's for just UTC now, I think that what I just mentioned is one solution and, and it can solve a lot of things. But the, beyond just UTC now and making sure you have just some predefined tests uh, where you just look at, you say, okay, I'm going to decide instead of probably based testing, you have some examples. I'm, I can decide, I'm going to test the, these few things. Beyond that, one interesting thing about data and time, uh, for instance, is edge cases that you might not think about, such as daylight saving time and uh, leap seconds, also uh, leap years, right? So you, if you just come up with these examples yourself, maybe you just make a few examples that work and, and the, you know, the tests are green and then you're, you think that's great and you're, you, you ship it. And then you, it, it doesn't have, and, and you could do this, let's say in a, uh, in a non-leap year, and then it's only three years later that someone will find out that you had a bug in your code that only shows up at leap year. So I think it's, it's uh, a problem that's interesting because of these things. You know, you're not just dealing with simple problems, but things that can change over time. And that's also something that's difficult with the whole idea of thinking about time zones and when you're handling that is not only do you know time passes and things happen all the time like with every other program but also the rules can change so you kind of have to think of on on different levels of that thinking about testing besides what we talked about before with how do you you know uh, in your test fix what the time is right now i think it's useful to test around things where you switch from summer to winter time or daylight saving time. If you make tests just around those times, that can be uh, useful. Uh, so, so if you don't have some framework where they, you know, it can think of everything for you, which by the way, I'm not sure how easy that would be to do. You probably should think about these things and test them. I guess this it, this is the thing about dealing with data and time. It's something that sometimes people think, oh, a library should just fix everything for me. But in some cases, it's just, it is a part of the real world and you can't always just ignore it. Like it, it is your responsibility to some extent and you have to think about it. So for testing, yeah, test around those, those kind of edge cases. If you can think of them, that's what I would recommend. 
Roxio calls themselves career rocket fuel for curious coders. They are some of the most experienced Elixir trainers in the business with over five years of Elixir teaching experience. We're in the midst of a pandemic, but don't let that stop you from continuing to learn. Groxio offers remote Elixir and OTP live training courses with no more than six participants. These short two and a half day sessions give you plenty of keyboard time with your coach, Bruce Tate, co-author of the Programming Phoenix and Designing Elixir Systems with OTP. Groxio also has three extensive Elixir self-study courses available. Whether you want to learn Elixir, OTP, or Phoenix Live View, the self-guided trainings give you the videos, projects, and books you need to make your own breakthroughs. Groxio wants to be your Elixir on-ramp. Subscribe or buy a course today at grox.io. Yeah, we're just a, a 20 short years from um, like a massive edge case sweeping through the whole industry, right? The, the Y2K, I don't know if, if any of um, you youngsters are, <laughs> uh, are, are can, can remember any of that, but I, I remember that planes were going to fall out of the sky and reactors were going to melt down and yeah, but for some brilliant work with, you know, the COBOL window algorithm, um, some of that might have come to pass. Yeah, there's also the, um, what is it, Y2038 problem um, right. that will come up. So let's see how that's going to pass. Speaking of, you know, you mentioned like, well, what, what would you expect a library to handle or, you know, people want libraries to handle everything for you. Uh, so speaking of libraries, you are actually the creator of TZ Data. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about that library and kind of its relationship or how you might use it with some of the Elixir core library time and date time functionality. Since I know you have uh, a blog post that came out a couple months ago saying you might not need the calendar or Timex library. So what library should we reach for? Where does TZ data fall in all of this? And uh, yeah, if you want to share some of your thoughts around that. Sure. Going back to 2014, I started working on this library where there was both the time zone handling and these new types uh, of date time, date and time, and date day time. And then later, CSET data was extracted from that. So that means that the the those that library that was first called Calends, later Calendar, was now calendar that depended on CSET data and also uh, time makes dependent on TSIP data. Then a little while later, a lot of, so these types from calendar were now available in almost the same form in the center library. So you, now in the center library, you have date, time, date time, and night date time. And at first you could not do time zone operations just directly from the standard library. So what happened in version 1.8 was we introduced this um, behavior for a time zone database, which means you can, in Elixir, configure it to use a certain time zone database. And uh, TSET data is right now the most popular one or the, the first one, but there are alternatives as far as I know, and there can be alternatives, new ones coming up in the future. So but what you can do is you can, if you use Elixir 1.8 or later, you can uh, go in and configure TSET data, or you can pass in that module name to every function you call in the standard library that needs this. But the, the, the ESIS version is just good to configure it. And then you can actually call uh, functions like datetime.now and pass in a uh, time zone name. Elixir will call the TSET data library and do all the necessary calculations. So this means that there's a lot of things that you would have needed 
libraries such as Calendar or Timex to do before in order to do these calculations by calling CISA data. Now, instead, you can call these functions in the library, uh, provided you have a time zone database library. You could even write your own time zone data database library if you want to see it because there's this behavior. So, so I think that that's a great thing that there is, you know, a, a defined interface for that in that this time zone database behavior. So I think that's so cool the way you put that. Like you can use the Elixir standard library to use TZ data to do time zone calculations. And first of all, that's just incredible. And what was developing, you know, towards this goal? Like, did you work with other Elixir core contributors to kind of figure out this partnership and this API? Did this just kind of like magically come together? What was working on this like? First, I, um, you know, when, when developed uh, the calendar library, it was mostly on my own. And I did this uh, presentation at Elixicon 2015. And there was also this uh, splitting of the TSET data library, which was, uh, as far as I remember, Sivalim basically asked me, oh, wouldn't it be a good idea if you split this out? And then also that meant also that Tiny's could use this. And then later for uh, Elixir 1.3, Shusei William asked me and, and Paul Schoenfelder for input for getting some of this, basically getting the types into the standard library. So that meant that you had these types, which are daytime, 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 and they would be common for the calendar library and Timex, and also other libraries could use those. So even if you use different libraries, at least the this, these structs, these types would be the same. So then what ha- what's happened since then is that one big thing is that this there's the time zone database behavior in version 1.8, which means now you don't use, you don't need other libraries besides a time zone database library to, uh, to do these time zone calculations. And also there's simply been added a few more functions to uh, the Elixir Standard Library, other things. And now the the next version of Elixir is going to have string formatting of date and time also. You can do more and more things with the Standard Library, but you can still use other libraries. And because you have these common types that are in the Standard Library, you have a good way of operating and you have this compatibility because you can use those same types. So you can, you know, can call one library, you get a type back, and you can pass it to standard library. Standard library does something, gives you a new type back, and you can pass it to a third library. So it all works together pretty well. One of the first things you mentioned when we started chatting today uh, was that sort of looking around for a language that got things right when it comes to time and, and daytime and time zones is one of the things that brought you to exploring Elixir. So would you feel that with especially kind of the recent introductions in Elixir 1.8 of some of this tooling and what's coming up next, would you feel like Elixir is a a language that has really gotten this stuff right? I would say there is a a lot of things that it's gotten right, in my opinion, but also that's I'm I'm biased since I had an effect in in how how it looks. But there are so many things about this area that, first of all, you can only have you know, you can have libraries that can help you, but then the next step is also to have people knowing how to use it. And I think it's it's an area that is not, it's not necessarily super straightforward, especially if people have been used to doing things in a certain way. They might not know what 
you know, what to reach for, how to use it. So that's, that's part of it, you know, and I think it's in general, Elixir is good at, you know, it has good documentation. So I'd say, you know, one thing is how, how is the, the, the language designs, what could you potentially do? And another thing is how do people actually do it and how does the language facilitate that? with documentations or error messages or, you know, people around the language uh, writing blog posts or, or, you know, reading something and, and talking to other people about it. You know, uh, how are people actually using it? I guess it's, it's the real success criteria. If they, if, you know, if people are able to use this language and these libraries in a way that solves their problem in a good way. And I think there's a lot of, there's still a lot of ongoing development and there are more people working on it right now and there's more things coming. I think a lot of the basics, there. I think there are just a few basic things that I think are good that we have, such as the these different types where, for instance, in uh, if you have a date, it's called a date and it's not actually a date time and that maps well to with Ecto. So another thing is also, you know, Ecto started supporting these standard types. So you can you can save a date and you can put it into the database and it comes back again and it's just a date. Ecto didn't add a, a, a minute that was zero and a second that was zero and all that stuff. You even have, you know, you have the USEC or microsecond versions and the non-microsecond versions for Ecto. So you can even say, I want to actually save my milliseconds or microseconds. And it won't, depending on what you choose there for your type, it won't like add the microseconds. You have to, you have to like look at that and get that right. But you have the availability to do that. And the same thing with, with the other types. So I think there's a, there's a lot of potential to and, and, and possibilities to get things right. But you need each programmer has a certain responsibility to kind of look into it a little bit. And also, I'm sure there's still more work to do to to tell people about how we can use these libraries. Yeah, uh, that's it's something I, I, I hope to to, uh, you know, help with also in, uh, in writing blog posts and uh, uh, answering questions and um and uh, there are other people who need that too. So yeah, I think basically it's 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 pretty good, but it's a difficult problem, and there's a lot more to do. So Lau, I really love this story, um, especially from a couple of perspectives. I, I love the idea that this is a project that kind of started on its own, but you know worked with the highest elements of language when it became clear that these were some ideas that we wanted to fold in, not just from the standard library, but also from Ecto and things like that. It's really cool to me. The second thing, I love your understanding that maybe you can't get everything right or perfect, right? It's, it's almost like you can only try to mitigate the damage because there's so much, there's so many complex, complex landmines around this area. But you can mitigate the damage by not stopping at the boundaries of the code, right? You, you have to push into documentation, into education, into um, into blog posts, into um, Stack Overflow, all these places that um, that we kind of see uh, a particular message that's really vital to get as as close as, close as you can and, and push those ideas in. Um, so from kind of the way the, the the time libraries are carved up to the way that you've kind of um, taken an increased leadership role in language, I think it's really cool. Yeah, I think it helps a lot that we have great developer experience tools like, uh, you know, uh, xdoc and, and hexdocs. 
as library maintainers, you try really, really hard to make sure that your documentation is you know, super clear. You try to include as many examples as possible. And uh, it, it's kind of like a point of pride if, you're, if your hex docs page looks you know, super clean and, and you don't have to turn to Stack Overflow for questions because you can just look at the docs and your, your, uh, all your questions are answered right there. So I definitely feel that uh, that's something that the Elixir community has gotten right is, is focusing on tooling so that people can be self-sufficient and, and, and teach themselves. I agree that that whole having the documentation generator in with the language makes it so much easier when you're writing libraries because you're not searching for like, how do I get docs into this? So as a response, you can pretty much have good documentation, all the libraries, which is really nice. Um, speaking of kind of other libraries, is there any other projects that you're contributing to right now? Right now, I'm not working as much in open source as I used, I used to. Before, I would contribute to TSET data calendar that I made, and also um, Elixir itself, Ecto, Phoenix, trying to mostly trying to push some of these uh, you know, date and time things into it, and in some cases, also some other details. But uh, yeah, I'm still maintaining uh, TSET data, and that's kind of the, the main thing right now. I have to say, I'm very thankful for your work because I've used it quite a bit throughout the years. Uh, every time I've been dealing with date and time, uh, especially before date time and naive date time made it into the standard library, it, it was always a bit more difficult before, but now it's it's just a natural piece of the language. It's so simple. So I thank you for that. Sure. Yeah, I definitely want to echo that. I mean, looking at hex right now, TZ data is almost at 20, almost 24 million downloads of all times. So I think uh Everyone here definitely appreciates the work you've put into it and you have plenty of people around the world, so thanks. Well, on that note, I think this is a great time to transition into picks. And what we'll do is we'll just kind of round robin. And if anybody has any recommendations, suggestions, or links that they'd like to share, now's the time. When I first started taking computer science classes in college, I thought programming was just a joke. In fact, I changed my major over to engineering and started doing computer engineering and chip design. Then I found Ruby and I fell in love. I love Ruby. It was my first real programming language where I dove deep and really learned how to make software that makes a difference for other people. Since then, and the way that we got started with devchat.tv, we started a show called Ruby Rogues. It's currently in the 400s of episodes. We've talked to hundreds of people in the Ruby community about the Ruby community, about the Ruby programming language, about Rails, and about what makes good programming. So if you're interested in Ruby Rogues or you just want to hear a long series of experienced programmers talking about real problems, then go check out rubyrogues.com. I'm going to go first and I'm going to pick a blog post from back in May from Yulao on Calendar and Timex and uh, the Elixir Standard Library's you know, expansion of dealing with a lot of these date, daytime, time zone capabilities. I thought it was a really nice introduction to the topic. It was a really nice kind of call for using these tools and libraries the right way and in the at the right time. And uh, definitely appreciated you putting it out and doing some of this really, really critical education work on top of all of the open source contributions that you've given us in this area. So would love for some of our listeners to check that out. And with that, I will hand over our picks to Bruce. Yeah, I've got a couple. Um, of course, as the as Grazio is a sponsor, there's always a Grazio pick. So I'll start there. So the Grazio pick, I just finished the recording session with Brian Troutwine for a, uh, a short video series called Why Things Fail. And for this, those of you who don't know him, Brian is a marvelous storyteller and failure expert. expert. So he's, he's done talks on from everything to Chernobyl to... This particular series is starting 
with one called the Boston Molasses Flood. And there's a great book on that called Dark, Dark Tide. So, so subscribe to our video channel, um, youtube.com slash C slash Groxio. And the other one is um, every time that I would try to do some date math and actually try to sneak it into our code base, James Gray would find it. And he would respond with always with just a single link. And this is a, um, a famous YouTube video uh, called The Problem with Time and Time Zones with an excellent video um, video author called um, Computer File. Tremendous series. This one has, um, I don't know, a couple million downloads or something like that. So check it out. Wonderful. Thanks, Bruce. And how about you, Lyle? Any picks for us? First of all, where I work at The Real Real, we are hiring. So uh, if you're interested in working with Elixir, let me know. Another pick is this book that uh, I like, if not for anything else, uh, that it mentions uh, having units of measure when you program things. So it's uh, Domain Modeling made, made Functional by Scott Lachin. And uh, it talks about domain modeling and uses uh, F-sharp as an example. And I think it's uh, interesting to at least read through. And um, it can give you an example of how to do that in uh, functional language. So I think that maps well to Elixir. And yeah, what, like I said, the, the um, one thing that especially is uh, relevant also to, to this, even though it's a small detail, is how you, uh, it's important to save little details such as unit of, of measure, like you have, uh, instead of having a monetary rally being an integer of one, it, you have the USD or CAD in, in addition to to that uh, is an important detail that can uh, mean your data is useful or useless. And also, um, in general, uh, my uh, blog is creativedeletion.com. That's it. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I, I've been enjoying checking out your blog uh, lately. So definitely echo that recommendation. Any picks from you, Mika? I actually don't have any picks today. Okay, you'll just owe us some for next time. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. Uh, Alex, anything from you? Yeah, sure. So I got uh, two Elixir-related uh, picks for today. Uh, so the first one is a blog post by, I guess, Dasky on uh, Dev.2. Uh, it's called an IoT birdhouse with Elixir nerves and Phoenix Live components. So I found that to be a pretty cool article, uh, kind of spanning from you know the web and hardware and tying it all together. So I think that was a really cool, uh, a really cool read. Uh, my next pick is a blog post that I wrote on my blog, and it's called uh, Dynamically Configure Your Plugs at Runtime. And I outline uh, kind of the problems I was having with um, uh, dynamically executing plugs or configuring them at, uh, at runtime. And I wrote two libraries, one called Unplug, which I was surprised to get that uh, hex uh, package name, and one called Replug. And uh, you know those kind of solve problems that I was having, and I'm sure that uh, other people have had similar issues. So... I put my learnings up on the, the blog and hopefully people find those tools useful. I'm definitely going to check out that last one because, yeah, not a stranger to that problem. All right. I think that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to our guests, Lau, and uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to talk with you again in the future. And a shout out for our upcoming Elixir Conf. I think this episode will air before then. If not, then, of course, y'all are very confused. But if it does air before Elixir Conf, you haven't gotten your ticket yet. There's still time. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. 
Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.